Hello and welcome to another episode of Riding Unicorns. Today we have Irina Scarlett, Chief Growth Officer at Bitpanda. Irina has a fascinating background. She's worked at unicorn companies like Revolut and Uber before joining Bitpanda, which is also a unicorn and a trading platform where you can buy digital assets, cryptocurrency and other financial instruments. Hi, Irina. Welcome to Riding Unicorns. Uh, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Super. So we always like to start by getting a background on people's career. So maybe you could take us back to everything you did up to joining Uber, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so I basically studied international economic relations and business at the Academy of Economic Studies, Bucharest. I was a nerd. I'm a nerd. I, I, I like learning a lot. During my studies, I also worked in consultancy. So I was an SAP consultant for two years during my bachelor's studies. And then after I finished my bachelor's, I decided to go abroad for a master program. And I studied political economy at BI Norwegian Business School in Oslo. And it took me less than a, a couple of months to understand that I'm not going to do any politics or any diplomacy in my career. So I chose the specialization of my master program wrong. So I switched. I applied to a different scholarship and I finished my master program in management in Paris at OSP Paris where I spent another year. As I finished the master, I returned to Romania and I started an NGO. So I'm a social entrepreneur as well. I started an NGO doing entrepreneurship education programs for the, for the youth. And the second master's in international project management in the, in the same time, because as I set expectations straight from the beginning, I'm a nerd. So I started working with my NGO and this is how I chose a career in tech. And that's a very very nice story that I, I really like. So basically, the NGO wasn't focused on providing training just for tech entrepreneurs. So it had a more holistic approach. And through the work that we were doing, we were interacting with hundreds of entrepreneurs in various industries. But I particularly resonated with the ones in tech. So the ones in tech were very casual, were very driven. So I've always loved missionaries instead of people that are mercenaries. And all the, the tech entrepreneurs that I've got the chance to meet were missionaries, were very eager to share, very open to talk. So I said, okay, I want to build a career in tech. What's next? Because obviously I'm not a developer, so I can't start uh, just coding. So I looked at my skill set. I looked at my passions and my, my skill set. And this is how I decided to go the marketing route. So I've started learning. I took every course that I, I found online, offline. I found mentors that guided my way in the beginning. That goes back more than 12 years ago. So it's quite old. And then I decided to start a marketing agency working with tech startups. I, I second guess that decision now looking back, both understanding where my skill set was back then, but also the market. Because basically back in Romania, I started an agency in Romania working with tech startups. But back then in Romania, there were a bunch of problems. First, there weren't as many tech startups to actually work with. And that's because the market was, was very early stage. The, the community wasn't evolved enough. And most of my clients didn't actually need marketing. 
So I ended up working with them on go-to-market strategies for their, for their products to, to reach product market fit on customer discovery and validation. And it was a great learning experience, but I hit my limit of incompetence because I didn't have the experience of building teams, of hiring great people. So at some point, I decided to, to join the only client who ironically wasn't a tech startup, but a tech event. It was uh, called How to Web. And back then, it was the, the uh, biggest uh, tech event in Central and Eastern Europe. And I joined them due to two reasons. On one side, it was uh, a unique opportunity to actually build a strong network in the tech industry going beyond Romania. And secondly, I had access to training programs that I couldn't have accessed otherwise. One of uh, the, the workshops and trainings for professionals were prohibitively expensive for me at that point. They were also running an accelerator for startup, which I could have joined only if I had a startup, which I didn't have. So I decided to join How to Web, and my decision to join How to Web came because I wanted first to develop my own network in tech that goes beyond the network that I had in Romania on one side. And on the other hand side, I, I got the opportunity to learn because I had access to training programs that if we look at the workshops, they were prohibitively expensive for me at that point. And they were also running an accelerator program, which I couldn't have joined because I don't have a startup. So I spent five years at HoutWeb, joined as a comms manager, left as chief marketing officer and the conference manager. It was a fantastic learning opportunity for me. But at some point, I realized that I don't want to be a facilitator in tech. I want to be in the middle of tech. I want to be building things myself. In the meantime, I learned how to build teams, how to grow teams. The entire ecosystem in Romania, the region and beyond was booming. So there were a lot of opportunities if I decided to get back to my agency. But still, it wasn't the right thing for me because I feel that when you're working in an agency, you're never having full ownership of a product. You're just solving a small problem. You're never having full visibility. So I wanted to get back to my love, which is product marketing and building things. And this is how I ended up at Uber because Uber was then building their team in Romania and they're recruiting for a person to lead their marketing team. I mean, that's a joke because the marketing team was myself in the beginning. So they were they were looking for a person to, to first, first marketing hire on the ground to build the marketing function for Uber in Romania take the product to market. And that was a, an opportunity that I wanted to take. Wow, lots of variety, which is, I think, really interesting. In regards to your time at Uber, what did you actually do there and how did your role change over time? So I've worked with fast-growing startups through the work that I was doing with my uh, agency before, but Uber was a cultural shock for me. So I think that it took me a couple of months in order to get up to speed with how things are, are working. So first, very, very data-driven, which is something that I love and that I've internalized. Then things were happening really, really fast. So I remember from my, my old experience working with the earlier stage clients that it took so much to take an initiative to market and so many reviews uh, necessary, although the company was so small. And at Uber, we were so fast. I think this was one of our competitive edges back then because the Speed was incredible, dizzying at times. And I look at Uber as my MBA. I've met some fabulous people. My GM is now my mentor and a very good friend. And she had a great impact on my further professional development. And I vividly remember one thing that redefined how I saw ownership. 
So after my first two months at Uber, everything felt insane. Things were moving really, really fast. In the same time, we lacked the structure that we need. We didn't have the resources and everything. I was afraid of burning out. I ended up working like 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And at some point, you know, one-on-one, I was decided to quit. So I went at my GM and I told her like, look, I'm working 14 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not sustainable. If I need to work that much, we're either highly understaffed or highly disorganized. Either way, I'm not willing to do it. And she looked at me and she was like, yes, you're completely right. You're the lead of this team. So hire as many people as you need and reorganize as you see fit in order to make sure that you don't need to work that much time. So I think if she'd slapped me, at that point, it wouldn't have hurt that much. So it, it was such a wake-up call and such an insightful moment that redefined how I look at ownership and reminded me that we, we actually need to own our things and take ownership and take responsibility of shaping things how we want them to be shaped. I spent two years at Uber, but at some point with the IPO prep and the, the leadership change, Uber became very corporate. So when I ended up going to the office and having to scroll the Facebook feed, waiting for approvals in mid-January for my Q1 strategy, I, I realized that it's no longer my place to be. I could have stayed to launch Uber Eats in Romania or the region. I could have stayed for a regional role, but once a company gets corporate, it sticks to being corporate, no matter uh, whether you're in a shielded, because like with Uber Eats, I would have been shielded and got back to building and launching a market again. But the company was already getting getting very, very big and corporate, and I wanted to do something else. So I decided to take a sabbatical, which ended up being a nine-day sabbatical because I was approached by Revolut. And that's, again, a funny story. So I, I was approached by Andreas Bicheka, who's now the deputy CEO of Revolut Bank. And he told me, hey, look, we're not sure if you know about Revolut. We're searching for a country manager in Romania looking to, to set up local operations, and we'd like to talk to you. And I genuinely thought that he's reaching out to me due to the network that I have on the Romanian market and asking for recommendations. And I told him, yes, I know Revolut. I'm using the product. I really love it. Let's talk. And I'm going to think about persons that I can recommend. He, he was a bit puzzled and he told me like, no, you didn't quite get it. We want you to lead our operations on the Romanian market. And I told him like, I, I remember that conversation. So look, you got the profile so wrong. I hate banks. I hate everything that's connected to banks and being slow and bureaucratic. And I'm no red compliance person. And I, I, I'm a growth marketer. I'm a product marketer. I, I really like to do something along this line in my career. And he convinced me to join by telling me that he assumed that I didn't love the taxi industry either. And still, I did a great job at Uber because Uber is first and foremost a tech company. And so is Revolut, a tech company and not a bank. Back at that point, Revolut didn't have a banking license. So I, I really enjoyed the conversation that I had, the interviews with, uh, with the leadership team. And I didn't have anything to lose at that point because the decision to leave Uber was already taken. So I joined Revolut as a country manager, which was, again, a fantastic, fantastic experience. So I joined as a country manager in Romania. We had 20,000 users back then, and the target was to get 100,000 users in a couple of months with no marketing budget and no local team. 
it was really, really exciting. We did it. We got 150K, but then it became clear that what got us here won't take us there. So I started chasing the leadership team on Slack and telling them, hey, look, we actually need a growth department because we can't continue delivering results and doing something out of nothing. We actually need the, the, the proper structure and the proper resources in place. And this is how I ended up leading what we called our growth machine, which is basically a fancy name to build Revolut's growth department. Then I was promoted to lead the teams in Central and Eastern Europe. Fun fact, I found out about the promotion the day I gave birth to my boy, who's now two years and three months uh, old and is taking all my time. And for my last year at Travelute, I led the growth department that I've initially built. Again, it was a fantastic experience. I loved every single minute of it. At some point, though... I got really tired, so I didn't take any mat leave when I had my kid. And being in a high growth company is like, so the normal years are dog years. And I, I felt really tired and things were getting more and more bureaucratic due to the passporting, the banking license. And it was more about regulatory compliance. I didn't feel that I was building as much as I used to. So I decided it's just about time to take a break. It was also a personal decision because I didn't take mat leave when my kid was small. If you have kids, you can relate to that. When they're really, really young, it's eat, shit, sleep, and repeat. And it's a, it's a consistent pattern. But as, as they grow into tiny human beings, they need you more. So I decided to spend time with my family and I took a four-month break. It was intended to be a tad longer, but I really know myself. I'm a type A personality. I can't sit still. So I declare a success that I managed to stay on a sabbatical without working on something, building something for four months. And Irina, your time at Revolut and Uber, how much did that change your attitude to work? And what did you learn at those places? I always had a great work ethics and I'm the type of person that finds pleasure in the work they do. So if I don't love the work that I'm doing it, I, I, I just stop. I, I think that it, it, it changed in terms of ownership, as I was telling you before. One thing that I also learned was that it's very important to quantify the impact of your work. So be impact driven versus being activity driven. I love that the paradigm is now changing, but it was a time when we were glorifying work instead of glorifying results. And I think this is a mistake that we did at Uber. I, I remember one of the former cultural values of Uber was always be hustling. And truth is that, yes, there are times when you need to hustle, but there are also times when you need to relax. And all Always be hustling goes towards being activity driven instead of being impact driven. Because right now, if I look at my team and the work that we do, I, I care about us delivering results and doing meaningful work instead of us just working for the sake of working and hustling because it's sexy to be hustling. So I think in terms of work, that's it. Being output driven and uh, results driven and also being very data driven. I joke and it's only it's only a half joke. It's a quote from Jim Barksdale from Netscape. If we have data, we go with data. If we have opinions, we go with mine. So let's gather the data. I think a lot of our audience would be really interested to understand what growth means to you and what is a successful growth function look like and how does that interlink with the rest of the business? 
I think that's an excellent question. And that's because if you ask five persons to define what growth is, you're going to get five different answers. So I think there's the narrow definition that I'm strongly against, that growth is performance marketing and paid user acquisition, which is not. I see growth holistically. So growth is sustainable growth all along the funnel. So it starts from a user acquisition. It goes forward further down the funnel to uh, uh, conversion. It goes further down the funnel to engage and retaining the, the users. Growth is cross-functional. It means marketing all along the funnel. It means comms. It means international expansion. It means business development. So I have a very holistic definition of growth, and this is how we approach now approach growth at Bitpanda. Regarding how to structure the growth team, that's a very good question. And the correct answer is it depends because the correct answer depends of the stage of your company. Are you a very early stage company? Are you an early stage? Are you going into the into high growth mode? Are you a more mature company? Then it depends on the industry in which you're operating. Obviously, I only have competencies in building growth teams for tech companies. I wouldn't start talking about anything else. But depending on this, my advice for founders would be to look at growth holistically and look at growth cross functionally across marketing, comms, growth, and international expansion and business development. So where does the growth function actually fit into the organization and how does it interact with other teams within the company? Again, it depends how we define marketing because I can put an equal sign between marketing and growth, but then you put international expansion under, under marketing. So for example, in order not to be overlaps and in order not to be conflicts, you need to have a clear scope of the team and each team needs to know what's their remit in order to understand where the marketing work and where the expansion work starts. For us at Bitpanda, for example, marketing is part of growth. So as chief growth officer, I'm overseeing the marketing department as well as the user acquisition department, the communications department, and what we call the growth department, which is basically the expansion and markets team brought together. So it, it, it's holistic and we're working together. I think that irrespective of how you shape your org structure, it's very important to make sure that your team is, is working together. So it's very good to have ambitious people. It's very good to have competitive people, but make sure that that competition is focused outward and not inward. So if there's one thing that I don't accept is internal competition. So we all want the same thing. We all share the same goals. So let's make sure that we have clear remits for our teams and that we work together collaboratively. There's no such thing as crossing boundaries. Oh, you're doing my work now because we should work together. And if you want to do my work, and this is something that I'm always joking about, if you want to do my work, I'm more than happy to give it to you, but just let me know about this in order to make sure that we're not both doing the same work in the same time. There was something that you said earlier, which I think is relevant now, and that's about people in an organization not doing sort of work for the sake of work and work for the sake of activity. And it kind of fits into what you've just been talking about. How do you make sure that people are working towards the sort of grand vision rather than just looking busy? And what does that mean at Bitpanda? So that's a very good question. And I think that we've built a very strong framework now at Bitpanda. So I think everything ties to goals. So people need to always have the eyes on the prize. When we look at the culture right now, and we see a lot of people are complaining about being burnt out, particularly in tech companies. And that's because there are so many things that you can do and you focus on everything instead of actually prioritizing and focusing on what moves the needle. So it starts with the goals, the company goals that should then be declined for 
or at department level to be department goals, that you further down decline to being team goals, and that you further down decline into individual goals. And when you go down, as you go down the layers, individual goals are going to be the key deliverables that, that the person is going to, to deliver in a specific time period. And here is where you as a manager need to actually help guide the people to actually focus on doing the meaningful work, the impactful work, and give away what doesn't make sense and what doesn't create an impact. And I remember... I, I was working through this through a similar framework with my GM back at Tuber. And it was a project that I really loved. I don't remember the name of the project now. I think it was an engagement project, but it was with incremental results. And it was taking quite an amount of time. And my manager was like, drop it. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to work on the weekend on it because I'm so passionate about it and I, I love it. And then she told me, and another life lesson for me was like, no, you won't. We're dropping it now because you need to learn how to give things up. I'd rather know that on the weekend you're watching Netflix instead of working on projects that are not impactful. Let's focus on the projects that can bring exponential impact and let's prioritize correctly and let's learn how to give up and say, okay, we stop it here because this is a project that only gives incremental results and we're not going to waste our time doing this. My belief is that a lot of people that burn out, burn out because they have a lot of projects with a small incremental impact instead of focusing on a couple of key projects with exponential impact. Now with my team at Bitfanda, we're working through full like Q4 planning mode in order to decide on the initiatives that we're going to run. And no team can have more than five initiatives for Q4 because we're not planning for business as usual work because that's business as usual work. And if we're having like 25 initiatives per team, that means that either the granularity is wrong or we're focusing on small initiatives here and there that can bring incremental impact that consume our resources, burn out our people and don't bring the expected results. I think that's a great lesson for any of our listeners who are working at a startup or, or want to go work at a startup. Absolutely. Uh, so then you moved to Bitpanda. So why did you choose to join Bitpanda and how do you describe the mission and how important is that mission to your decision in joining? So I think Bitpanda is another very, very beautiful story. And again, for our listeners, if you look backwards, things are connecting really well. And it feels like everything is so well connected. When you're in the middle of things, things are not looking like this. So the dots are only connecting backwards, but not when looking forward. So with Bitpanda, I was approached by Eric, who's our co-founder and co-CEO. And initially I heard uh, Bitpanda and I said, oh no, I don't want to join a crypto company. He approached me on so many channels that eventually I accepted to, to, to have a conversation. I think that one of our investors recommended Erica and Paul, our, our co-founders, to talk to me. And they were very persistent. So I was like, oh, these guys are really persistent. I'm just going to have a conversation. And we immediately clicked. First, I love the vision. So I perceived Bitpanda as a purely crypto trading company. And I think that people should have alternatives. So Eric and Paul, back then, we didn't launch commission-free stocks and precious metals and ETFs. And Eric shared with me their vision. And I think 
looking at this, I think it's a great educational opportunity because the main reason I joined Bitpanda is that if I look at Europe particularly, but also in other markets around the world, investment literacy is so low. People don't actually understand the investment market and the barriers to entry traditionally in wealth management were so high. Our, our vision is to become the world's leading investment platform. We are offering people a simple, safe way to invest their money, to invest in what they believe in depending on the risk appetite. And that's a vision that I resonate with and that I want to be a part with. One thing that also convinced me to join Bitpanda was our founders. They're very human. So I deeply believe that tech is broken. So I, I've been in tech for a long time. I think I, I had a fantastic experience at my previous companies as well. But looking overall at the landscape, I think uh, tech is broken. I think oftentimes people, and I'm not talking about the founders or the general company culture, but there are a lot of people in tech that mistake being ambitious with being aggressive. That mistake, again, being ambitious with being delusional, setting KPIs that are completely unattainable with the, with the resources that they have at hand at a particular point in time. What I liked at Bitpanda was that the guys were very human. They really genuinely care about the people beyond people being a resource for, uh, for the company's success. They genuinely care about the people and they've built a very healthy culture. For me, it's still shocking that really work normal hours at Bitpanda most of the times. That's really, really shocking for me. And so I had that conversation and we were about to schedule some subsequent interviews and I was on holiday on the balcony and I opened LinkedIn and then I saw one of Eric's posts. And then I turned to my husband and I said, I I'm not going to start my company now. I'm going to put that on hold and I'm, I'm going to join Bitpanda. And he instantly laughed because he was like, did the guys even get back to you? I mean, I understand you want to join them, but do they actually want you to join them? The reason I decided and took the decision then was that I saw a post that Eric posted on LinkedIn where he was talking about the people. I think it was in the context of Bitpanda becoming a unicorn, but it wasn't the unicorn thing that actually attracted me. But the fact that Eric was talking about the fact that becoming a unicorn is the result of the work of the 250 people team. And he was showcasing the team. And then in the blog post that was published on the blog post, he actually wrote the name of every single person in Bitpanda. And you might say, yeah, that might be PR bullshit, pardon my French. But if you look through all the personal communication of the founders, everything is aligned. And I doubt that a high growth company that lacks so many processes can be so evolved from a PR perspective in order to have a narrative that it advances and it's not consistent with what's inside. And I was right. I joined Bitpanda on July 1st. It's a fantastic company. The third reason is because I have the opportunity to build. So we're at a very interesting stage right now as a company because we're in full hyper growth mode and we've outgrown the previous org structure. So I have the opportunity to actually shape the org structure for scale, build the team for scale, build the processes for scale. And that's something for an entrepreneurial person like myself. That's something that's very, very exciting and a challenge that I want to take. And this entrepreneurial nature also makes me hardly employable by any traditional normal company out there. It's amazing how that kind of conversation with a founder, you sort of went from being a little bit skeptical to being very excited about what they're up to, which just shows the, the draw of the team that you've got there. And so as VCs, we're always talking to companies that are growing and we often get to see software as a service solutions as well that are maybe trying to work with some of those companies. So what tools do you guys use or what tools do you like that you think 
have a real impact on growth? If we look in the MarTech landscape, there's a wide range of tools that we can use. So I think we can make a podcast only talking about the tools that we use. I'm going to talk about some uh, very simple tools that actually make your life better exponentially. I'm a sucker for Asana. So for task management and for project management, I've been using Asana since it was in beta. So I'm one of the the early adopters because I was following Dustin Moskovitz. And when he announced launching Asana, I just signed up for beta. We're using it at Bitpanda successfully. And it's a tool without which I couldn't live and function as I do today. Then we have a very nice tool for social media that I love a lot, and it's called Planable. It's a tool that allows you to work collaboratively on social media messages, leave comments, also set up an approval process. So until the post is approved, it doesn't get posted. It's a scheduling, collaboration, and uh, approval tool. And I, I, I can go on a lot. I, uh, I mean... I haven't heard of Planable actually, but I'm surprised I have because I'm quite into my so social it's, media. It's but... a startup. In fact, it's, it's a B2B startup, but the product is fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting because you obviously there's a lot of social schedulers, but not a lot of collaboration around content for social media, which is that's really interesting. So that's what I love because we work collaboratively on the social media plan. And also when you look at the social media ecosystem of Bitpanda, we have the global accounts and we have the market level accounts. And Planable actually allows you to have different workplaces for different markets with all the tools connected. And then you you can actually give feedback on the on the message, leave comments on the message, and then you can do the scheduling, but the message only gets posted when it is approved because it is an approval process. And for managing global social media pages, it's a godsend. Arena, it's been absolutely awesome hearing all your tips. There've been there've been a lot of lessons in there, and um, also a fascinating journey. Just that I feel slightly sorry for you that you didn't take your sabbatical um, in the end, because what, your work at Revolut does does sound like the opposite of a sabbatical. But um, I'm sure it's been a really enjoyable journey is completely the opposite of a sabbatical. We're hiring a lot, we're building our team, but whenever I'm telling this, and I, I'm very transparent with candidates in every interview, working in a hypergrowth company is like building a rocket ship while flying it. And that's a specific category of persons that are comfortable in this environment and thrive in this environment and get excited by this environment. So it's those persons that need to be on board and that's why the persons are comfortable and succeed. And for the rest of the persons is nothing wrong with not with not being comfortable for this is just understanding what's the best place for you as a professional no for sure so um arena with every guest that we have on the show we like to finish the episode with a, a game where you have a imaginary dinner party and you're allowed to invest in, invest invite three people whoever you want to come so who would your three people be the first part, I think it's kid, my husband and my sister, because it's the people that I get to see very, very rarely during dinner, at least during weekdays. Jokes aside, I think first Whitney Wolf heard the founder and CEO of Bumble. She's a role model for me. I really like her. And then it's Ben Horowitz. It's Reed Hoffman and Reed Hastings. Reed Hoffman, uh, Greylock Partners, ex uh, uh, LinkedIn and PayPal. Reed Hastings, uh, Netflix, Ben Horowitz, Andreessen Horowitz. That's going to be an awesome dinner and, and maybe you invite your, your family along too because um, I'm sure they'd love to see more of you. I thought uh, that we... with my kid I would be able to get an adult conversation going. <laughs> it might bring a lightness to the conversation, who knows. Um, <laughs> funny actually, we had we the, the last, so pretty much typically everyone invites kind of the Elon Musk, the, the, the business people, 
but our last guest also invited three family members. Maybe a new trend is emerging. But Irina, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've absolutely loved speaking to you. There have been, as I said, tons of lessons and it's been fascinating hearing about your journey, an unconventional journey up to the, the heady heights where you are today. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot for taking the time and for having me here. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Harry. Good luck with everything with Bitpanda. Thanks a lot. It's a lot of work to do, but it's so exciting. Thanks for listening to Riding Unicorns. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to receive episodes direct to your inbox, go to ridingunicorns.substack.com and subscribe on there as well. See you next time.